This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman, and it's time for your weekly wrap-up. And we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today, including my uh, one-year anniversary doing this full-time. We're also going to talk about New Egg and how they are lying to their Connecticut customers. This one's a doozy. I'll get to this one in a few minutes. We're also going to look at the end of multi-channel networks, perhaps, based on some new activity that YouTube has been up to. And, of course, we'll be taking your questions. And don't forget, I always put a video index down below in the video description so you can find the parts that you want to watch. Now, before we get too much further, I do want to thank our newest supporters here on the channel. Folks gave via Patreon as well as through my donor box page. We've got Tech Wiz Time, Douglas Barnum, Joe Reberge and Christine Roy. So I want to thank everyone for their contributions to the channel this week. And the wrap-up this week is being brought to you by Plex, my favorite media streaming software, and their Plex Pass subscription. So Plex is free to use, but there are features you'll get if you subscribe to their Plex Pass feature, including uh, the DVR, Plex Cloud, Mobile Sync, free Plex apps, hardware transcoding. That was a topic we discovered this week with some different NAS devices. You'll be able to get that hardware transcoding feature enabled for many more Intel-based devices now. All of those kinds of features come in through the Plex Pass. And you can find your own Plex Pass at lon.tv slash Plex Pass. Uh, you can also gift a Plex Pass to someone you know at the other link you see there, lon.tv slash Plex Gift. So let's take a look now at the week in review. And we've got two unboxings you can find on the Extras channel. I don't have a thumbnail for the second item because I haven't unboxed it yet, but I will be doing so after I finish recording this. Uh, we did unbox the Minix Neo N42C. This is a mini PC that I'll have a review of later on this week on the main channel. And the GPD XD Plus is a sequel to one of my favorite little gaming handhelds, uh, which was, of course, the GPD XD. It runs Android. You can put all your emulators on it and everything. And this new one looks the same, but is a little faster. So we'll see exactly how much faster it is when I do get around to that main review, uh, which you will see a little later in the week. So stay tuned for that. On the main channel, we did a couple of things, a Nintendo Switch docking video. I also looked at the SanDisk Extreme 900, which is a super fast solid state drive most of the time. And I'll talk about some of the areas where it might not be so fast. Uh, we also looked at the Chewy High 9, which was an 8.4-inch Android tablet. And we did a closer look at uh, Plex and how hardware transcoding now works on more NAS devices. So check that one out if you are looking for some more information on how to speed up your Plex transcoding. So now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and there is quite a bit on my mind this week, but I did want to start off with kind of an anniversary note here. Uh, this is now week 52 of me doing this as a full-time occupation, which means that I started full-time a year ago, and we're still alive and kicking here, which has been great. In fact, I think the first thing that I did uh, as a 
full-time product reviewer was the uh, Nintendo Switch when it came out also a year ago, which I'm still enjoying quite a bit. So uh, you can take, take a look back at that review, and I did a little live unboxing thing as well. So uh, it's been good, but I wanted to give you kind of some quick stats as to how the year has gone. Uh, so it's gone well in a couple of areas and so-so in some others. But uh, the most important thing here is my watch time is up. About 3 million more watch time minutes than I had last year, which is great because this is the metric now that uh, YouTube is really judging you on. Not so much on the views, which you can see are down slightly, uh, but the watch time is up. And that is a goal of mine to keep getting that watch time uh, ticking in the upward direction. So that was a great thing. Uh, the revenue, it's so kind of a weird transition there with that arrow, but the revenue here is up uh, 60%, which is pretty Pretty good, actually, because I'm not eating into as much of the runway money I had set aside in case things didn't work out. So I had some time to get uh, acclimated to full time. The good news is that uh, revenue has been very healthy. Now, some of this has come from the fact that I have more time to grow and develop the business. So that's why we're seeing a few more sponsors coming into play. I can spend more time working with those sponsors on uh, getting the content to uh, where it needs to be. So all of those things have been good. In fact, I was turning some things away before because I didn't have time to devote to the clients uh, now I do, and I've been working on some uh, other opportunities as well. And again, I'm not going to you know, fill this channel up with ads and sponsored content, but uh, this has been a pretty big area of growth. Another big area of growth, believe it or not, is actually the YouTube ad revenue. That was up about 30% on its own. And I think what's happening there is that because Adpocalypse has taken a lot of uh, other videos out of the inventory, there's uh, more scarcity for YouTube to sell. So therefore, I'm getting uh, more ads on my videos, and there's probably uh, maybe a higher rate now perhaps being applied for uh, those ads as well. So I think overall, uh, revenue has been very healthy. But uh, subgrowth is down about 21% this year. So I'm still growing subscribers, just not as fast as I did uh, in the same period last year. But I think there's a reason for part of this figure being down the way it is. And if you take a look at my uh, Social Blade statistics here, um, you can see my monthly views have been pretty healthy here. I do about anywhere from a million to a million four per month. Uh, so this is about a million four here. I did take a pretty big dip uh, last year around March and April, which I anticipate happening once again. And what happened here with this huge, huge uptick on both the views and the subscribers was that uh, I hit the algorithm lottery with one of my videos. There was the video I did of the GPD Win, which was a handheld Windows computer. And for some reason, the YouTube algorithm decided that was a video it wanted to promote of mine, which was great. And it led to about uh, 9,000 subscribers in one month alone. Typically, I do about three to 4,000 subscribers a month. So I think part of that subscription number being uh, down insofar as growth is concerned is because of that. That was kind of an anomaly that I uh, hit once and uh, really hasn't been happy, happening again just because I don't have any real unique products that other people aren't reviewing, perhaps. So um, that was what happened there. But the good news is my views are back up from the doldrums that we experienced down here. I think this was the uh, first month down here that I was below a million views in probably two or three years. So although subscribers are not growing as fast as they did last year, they are still growing. So don't worry, things are still on the uptick and uh, my views are ticking 
going up slightly higher and the watch time is going higher as well. So I am going to keep plugging away here because all of these things are a good sign that we're moving in the right direction. Now, my goals, of course, for this year are to continue growing. I really want to, again, focus on improving my watch time, which is critical. I want to maybe improve how long people watch my videos for so I get more of those chances at the algorithm lottery. Uh, but I'm also looking at the fact that uh, I've been at this now for probably about four or five years, and I think I've hit a point where I'm seeing growth. It's not that it's not growing, but I'm not seeing the rapid growth that I saw uh, as the channel became more established. And one of the challenges that you have when you have a YouTube channel like mine, kind of in the middle class, if you will, of uh, YouTube creators is that, uh, you know, you can really only do so much on your own. And at some point you have to uh, maybe bring on some additional talent or look at some ways that you can help other talent uh, begin to grow their own businesses. So I'm looking at that as a potential model here for uh, growing this company, because at this point I have to make everything I sell essentially, whether it's a piece of editorial content or uh, some sponsored piece. It always has to have me in it and I have to make it. Um, so I'm trying to find ways to uh, be able to grow the business without having to make everything. I don't want to stop what I'm doing. I really like being in front of cam the camera and doing all the reviews that I do. But again, I'm really focused now on finding some ways to apply what I have learned to help others and uh, have them involved in what I do to some degree. So I'll have some more news on this as I figure it out. It's still kind of in the early stages, but uh, those are some of the goals I have for the year. And really, I just want to keep growing. I want to get up to 200,000 subscribers this year. I want to get that watch time up and uh, we'll see where we go from there. So now let's move on to new egg. And like I said, this one's going to be a doozy. So let me just give you the, the top level on this and then we'll dig into the details. So basically what's happened is uh, new egg has handed over sales data to the state of Connecticut dating back to 2014. Uh, that means if you live in Connecticut, as I do, and purchased anything from new egg uh, from 2014 to the present, they have exported their sales data, the things that you bought, and handed it over to a government agency without a subpoena, without a warrant, with nothing other than a letter that the State Department of Revenue Services sent to them uh, asking for that information. So let that sink in for a minute, and then we're going to look at what Newegg told their customers and what the truth really was. Now, this all began yesterday when I got this letter in the mail over the weekend from my State Department of Revenue Services saying that I owed about $300 or so uh, in back use taxes for items that I purchased from Newegg in the years 2014, 2015, and 2016. Uh, and it also indicated that Newegg has provided the Department of Revenue Services records of my online purchases during this period of time. Now, let's get one thing out of the way up front here. If you buy something here in the United States from an online retailer that doesn't charge you sales tax, in most states, you are still responsible for paying that tax after the fact. In a personal filer situation, you usually tack it on to your uh, tax return at the end of the year. Uh, companies who do collect sales tax can also report use taxes uh, during the time that they make their regular sales tax filing. That's what I do for uh, the LLC that I set up for this company. And what happened here is about half of these purchases were made on, on behalf of my former employer, basically, because I was buying things for my IT work uh, on my company credit card on my Newegg account just for expediency's sake. I think many of you who have worked in smaller, medium-sized businesses know it's a pain in a, in a you-know-what to go and set up a, a new account with some company. So you just go ahead and put it on the credit card and uh, let the accounting department know it's coming through. And that's what I did. Uh, so I don't know if they paid the use tax on it or not during that period of time. I'd have to check with the accountants there. I still have 
obviously contacts with my old employment there, but uh, I have no idea. So what I'm going to be doing here is paying this tax bill in full uh, just to get this, uh, this off my back here and be in compliance. It's probably likely that I didn't tell my own accountant at the end of the year that I had made some purchases at New Egg, and therefore uh, I'm liable for this tax under law. I'm not going to be complaining about that. I will pay my taxes and I'm grateful that they are waiving the penalty if I get it into them next week, uh, which is what I'll be doing. But this is really about uh, what New Egg has told Connecticut customers and what the actual reality is in regards to how they treated our private data, which is things that we bought from them on their website over this three-year period. So let's take a look at uh, what New Egg sent to me on February 23rd. Uh, this letter came in yesterday, which was March 3rd here in Connecticut. So this, this email came out around the same time these letters started coming out from uh, the Department of Revenue Services. Now, what they said in this email to me is that a recent Connecticut law requires New Egg to disclose the amount you spent with us in these tax years. And uh, if you're somebody reading this, you might figure, yeah, you know, the state's going through some tough times. They keep making new laws to try to collect sales taxes from companies out of state. Maybe it's understandable that they passed some law to do that. But the reality is they didn't pass any law. This is pure BS. And here you can get it right from the horse's mouth here. So there's an Hartford Current article on February 15th that I'll link to down below there. And they quote the Commissioner of Revenue Services here in Connecticut, Kevin Sullivan, who said, usually we don't have the data, but in several cases, companies have said, we'll squeal on our customers and you can beat up on them. The people who sold to them have ratted them out. In other words, there was no law requiring Newegg to turn over this personal information to the state government. They just did it so they didn't have to deal with the state taxing authority and probably figured the number of customers impacted is probably going to be pretty low. Uh, the impact on their business versus fighting this wasn't worth it, so they'll just sell you down the river to a state authority here without uh, any kind of subpoena warrant or anything else, just a letter. And you can take a look at that article to check it out. Now, it's interesting is that in this Hartford Current article, uh, they quoted a New Egg customer. I think it was in this article or a television story that appeared around the same time. Uh, New Egg hadn't even notified customers before these letters started showing up. So they didn't even tell people uh, that they were doing this. And it looks like perhaps this media coverage or maybe some customer outrage led Newegg to actually disclose to customers that their private information was given to the government. But uh, that is what happened there. I didn't get a copy of the letter from the state to Newegg at the time that I was recording this video, but I did find a still grab here from a Channel 8 uh, story here in, in Connecticut. This is WTNH-TV. And what they are quoting here are some uh, regulations that apply to companies that are located in Connecticut or have a physical nexus in Connecticut. That's what these statutes refer to. Uh, but really, Newegg could have fought this. And the only demand here was this highlighted section here. They're asking for this information. And what they gave the companies, though, was a choice. They could either send the records in or they could start collecting Connecticut sales tax and they would look the other way on all the past purchases. And it looks like Newegg decided we're not going to collect sales tax because we don't want to deal with that. So we're just going to turn over our customer data so that it doesn't get more difficult for us to do business, which is basically what they decided to do here. So uh, if you are a Newegg customer, uh, they were given a choice to make their business maybe a little more difficult, maybe do what Amazon and everyone else has started to do and collect sales tax, but they chose not to. It was easier just to give your information away without any kind of a fight 
uh, and get their uh, themselves to continue doing whatever they've been doing here. So this is really pretty scary to me, actually, that they would give up money so easily. And it's even crazier, too, when you think about the fact that Newegg has never shied away from litigation when they felt they were in the right or they felt they had a reason to fight something. And there's nothing uh, better to show you exactly what they used to do uh, than this Ars Technica article about how they went after patent trolls, even after those patent trolls dropped cases against Newegg. Uh, this usually involved e-commerce patents and stuff that uh, many online retailers would just pay to get these patent holders off their back. Newegg would always fight them. They were not afraid of litigation. And in fact, in this article, they pushed even more litigation to defend their interests. But when it comes to defending the interests of their customers and their private data, they could just tell you to pound sand, which is exactly what they did here. So my advice to all of you on this is that uh, today it's Connecticut. Tomorrow it's going to be some other state. I would strongly urge you to just stop doing business with Newegg if you care about your privacy. I don't think it is appropriate for a company just to hand over data to the government without any kind of subpoena or warrant requesting that. And although people are due you know, to pay this tax, it's the law, uh, the fact is Newegg could have fought harder to defend their pr customers' private information and chose not to in the interests of their own business over uh, the interests of their customers. And if that doesn't tell you what the values of a company are, I don't know what is. I did reach out to Newegg to ask them what exactly they turned over to the state government. I also reached out to the Department of Revenue Services here in Connecticut and asked them the same question. So hopefully I'll figure out exactly what data was sent uh, to the State Department. I'm assuming it's going to be your name, your address, perhaps the shipping address of the items that were sent and the amounts. I don't know if they'll uh, give the actual item data to the state, but we'll find out and I'll get back to you on that uh, when I get information about it. Newegg has not been responding to any other press inquiries in the state, so I don't anticipate hearing from them. But again, I'll be back with a video midweek if I do get some information for all of you. So now from one weighty topic to another, let's go into the end, perhaps, of MCNs as we know them. Uh, now, an MCN, if you don't know, is a multi-channel network, and they are these entities that exist in YouTube that began at a time when YouTube was still growing and they needed a way to more efficiently handle all of these little creators looking to make money on the YouTube platform. Rather than manage all these channels themselves, uh, YouTube allowed the creation of these entities to create networks of creators uh, that could then uh, bring those people in, monetize them, and also basically babysit their behavior so uh, YouTube could focus on building their core business at that point in time. Now, things have changed significantly. YouTube provides a lot of the services that these MCNs used to provide, so I'm not part of an MCN, nor will I ever be, I believe, uh, as time goes on here. And uh, it really hasn't made sense for a lot of people like me moving forward to be part of them, but there was a time when they were very relevant, and some of them actually got to be very large. Maker Studio is a great example. Uh, this was a studio that grew out of one of these MCN uh, things and uh, eventually got bought out by Disney for a good amount of money and then was dismantled by Disney when they figured there was no more money left in it. But uh, needless to say, they have grown quite a bit. There are many out there. Some are okay. Uh, some are really bad and exploit small creators. And a bulk of the offers that I have had from MCNs have been of the exploitive nature. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But what happened? Well, uh, Social Blade, which is a great website that I suggest you check out for tracking your 
own YouTube stats and those of others. Uh, apparently also has a small MCN. And I want to add everything bad I'm about to say about MCNs. I don't want to apply to Social Blade because I don't really have any experience with their MCN. So I don't know whether they're good or bad or indifferent. But uh, know that I'm not singling them out here in this discussion. I'm just putting them on screen because they're the only group that I saw speaking publicly about this. Uh, and I think it's important to begin our discussion here. So Social Blade mentioned that uh, YouTube, of course, changed their monetization policy for channels and that you need 1,000 subscribers and your videos have needed to acquire 4,000 watch hours of viewership over the course of a year. If you don't meet that threshold, you cannot monetize on the YouTube platform, and that includes people that are part of an MCN. So if you were part of an MCN but under that monetization threshold, YouTube has demonetized you, but also removed you from that MCN. So that has really uh, culled the numbers significantly on a number of these multi-channel networks. And I think this did actually help to some degree because many of those networks were exploiting those small creators. But another thing that Social Blade posted up here is the fact that uh, YouTube has taken it a step further and they've actually asked these networks or required these networks to further trim their numbers down. So there were a few people in some private message boards that I'm following that got cut loose by uh, their networks unexpectedly this week. And uh, this is an ongoing thing happening right now. And apparently the confidentiality rules that YouTube puts in place for these networks uh, means that most of them can't talk about it. So there hasn't been a lot of press about this, but I'm seeing this happening. And I think this is going to be a good thing in the end. And why do I think that? Well, let's look at the, uh, the model that I think has been the MCN model for a long period of time, which is the pyramid model, in that those little creators at the bottom here uh, fund those at the top. So many of these networks, when they approach you, say, hey, we're going to do all this great stuff for you. Look at all these great YouTubers we have here that we've helped grow and yada, yada, yada. Well, the reality is, is that the reason why those top YouTubers are getting so much help and support is that uh, these networks have been draining money out of all the people at the bottom. And what do I mean by draining money? Well, typically, and I have yet to see an MCN that doesn't work in this way, MCNs take ad revenue that they themselves have not earned. So some MCNs actually sell their own advertising and uh, will give you a, sh a share of that, which I think is fine. But they also go after your AdSense revenue, your YouTube revenue, they take a percentage of. Some I've been offered to take 10%. Some have offered to take 50% of that revenue. No matter what, every MCN that's approached me wants a portion of the revenue that they've had no part in earning, which I don't understand uh, why, why they feel they have a right to that money. But uh, nonetheless, that is a part of every single one of these MCN contracts. So everybody in this blue area here is getting a portion of their revenue siphoned away and given to those at the top, essentially, as well as the uh, company itself to keep operating. In some cases, the recruiters who come after you for these uh, MCN deals also get a cut of that money, too. The reality is the money's not going back to your channel. It's going elsewhere. And they make it, they make it out to be that you're going to be this uh, great uh, creator that's going to be well-supported by the network. What they also do is lock creators into restrictive contracts with the promises of additional revenues. But those promises are never in the contract. You're, all the things that you have to do are in that contract clear as day, but uh, the things that they're going to do for you never make it into the contract, oddly enough. But what they do is they go after a lot of 
uh, young kids, maybe under 18, who you know, get their parents to sign something and that's it, they're in. And no lawyer has ever looked at this stuff. Now I have shared some of these contracts with lawyer friends of mine to see what they thought about them. And they were horrified that people would sign this kind of stuff. So if you ever get one of these contracts and are thinking about signing up with an MCN, have a lawyer look at it first. And I'll just show you some of the things that stuck out to me over the years as I've been getting these contracts in. Uh, so here's one where they say, hey, you're going to make 90% of your revenue. So I only have to pay them 10% of the YouTube uh, ad revenue share, right? Well, not really, because there's a word here that we need to point at, net. If this said gross, it would be 90% of the money that YouTube reports they sent to the MCN that my channel generated. But when we talk about net, that's a whole different story. So what does net mean? Well, net means net of expenses. And here's where this gets defined. In other words, they can arbitrarily decide that there's some administrative fees or some other things that have to take place for them to get that money to you. They're just going to take it off the top. So 10% could be 30%, could even be 50% because it's based on the net revenue after they calculate all their expenses out. And what's funny is, is that the first line here showed up in kind of the summary page of the uh, contract, but uh, the actual definition of what net means appears a lot later in the fine print. So this is, again, why you want to have a lawyer look at this stuff, because this is where they get you, and they lock you in for a period of time and make it very difficult to get out. Here's a great example of a lock-in agreement that I got sent that was probably the most insulting offer I've ever seen in my life. So uh, they said to me that this agreement will begin on the effective date, and it may be terminated at any time, as they mentioned, right? Any time, so long as I provide them 60 months of prior written notice. In other words, I need to tell them today for a contract that I wish to get out of, but I have to wait five years for the ability to actually leave it. Isn't this ridiculous? And they wanted half of my revenue. Now, along with these restrictive contracts, they also have these recruiters who really work you. They really want to make you feel like you're the best thing ever. You're an up-and-comer. We need to get you on board immediately. Uh, this guy was telling me that he spoke with his CEO and that he's super excited to have me into his network. And I can only you know, keep this offer on the table until Wednesday, but we're going to get you a $2,200 signing bonus. And meanwhile, I've said to this guy over and over again, Again, no, not interested. No, not interested. Kept sending stuff to me, trying to get me to change my mind until he thought maybe this $2,200 is going to make it work. Then, of course, you look at the fine print on what, how does the $2,200 get distributed? Well, in this instance, uh, they were going to offer me $2,200 as a signing bonus, but these cheapskates couldn't pay it up front. So what they did is they offered $550 within the first 30 days. I don't even get it when I sign the contract. They got to wait 30 days for that. And then after a, uh, another period of time passes, I think this was the, uh, yeah, the second payment comes 30 days following the third month anniversary. Uh, then they pay a little bit more as this thing goes on. But it looks like you don't get the full $2,200 until the ninth month of the agreement. And then they even had some clause in there that said I'd have to wait until they recoup the $2,200 before they'd even let me out of the contract, even after the five-year thing wore off. Just absolutely ridiculous and restrictive and not a word about what they were going to do for me in that contract that I could hold them to. So again, if there is not a word in that contract about what they're going to do for you, they're not going to do anything for you because they're not obligated to do it. And I would suggest if you really think you have to join an MCN, have a lawyer look at everything first before you sign up because likely you'll be put into a very restrictive contract 
that extracts money from you and gives you back nothing in return. I am grateful that YouTube is starting to crack down on this practice. They're getting rid of uh, these, these MCNs that have had tens of thousands of members who have been just getting revenue extracted year after year with no way out. Uh, this is hopefully a step in the right direction for those folks. And trust me when I say this, you do not need an MCN to be successful on this platform. Produce great content and don't quit and you'll be in a much better place than paying them some money and being locked into something that you can never get out of again. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in here from Diversified Towing and Recovery, LLC, who's wondering how to get started on YouTube to do things like what I'm doing. And uh, to be honest with you, the best way to get started is to just start. You probably hear this all the time, but uh, there really isn't anything holding you back from starting because if you have a video and it makes sense to some degree, put it up there and see what happens. And I think if you're running a uh, towing company, I'm assuming maybe you're trying to do some videos around what your business does. I think there's a lot of potential there for uh, you know, just showing how, it, how to tow a car, for example, or what happens when you tow a car, or maybe a whole series about towing different types of cars and some of the more challenging ones that you've encountered. And I found that there's an audience for just about everything on this platform. And I think a lot of people would love to watch you tow cars all day long. I could even see a live stream of you know, going out and getting these cars and helping people off the road with them or whatever. It might be something people would watch. So you don't know until you really put it out there. And my whole thing is, is that I just, if, if I feel like the video is good enough to get posted, I'll post it because what I'll get back from the viewers will help guide me for future reviews. So my computer reviews used to be very quick. I didn't cover a lot of different things. And I get all these comments coming back in. What about this? What about that? And I started integrating all of those whatabouts uh, into the main video. And those have really, I think, helped improve my content significantly because I'm giving the viewers what they're looking for. And if I'm doing that, the YouTube algorithm is going to reward you for keeping people on the platform for doing so. So until you get the videos up there, you really don't know what people are going to be looking for. And that's why I like to say, just get started. You don't need anything more than a smartphone to begin with. You don't need all this fancy equipment to get going. Uh, just use what you got and see what you can do with it. And don't get discouraged because it's going to take you a while uh, to get any kind of traction or traffic. But it will come if you keep at it and, and continually adjust to your audience as you develop your craft. And I think that will be the best advice uh, that I can give to get going. Just get started because I started with nothing. I didn't have any subscribers that came with me from something else. I just started doing product reviews and eventually enough people found the channel to help it grow. And I think that'll happen to really anyone else on this platform who really puts their mind to it and again focuses on what the audience wants. And this next question comes in from Ed about repurposing older laptops and computers as Plex servers. And this is a really good strategy. In fact, for many years, I had an old laptop uh, running my media server here in the house. It was a Sony laptop from like 2013 or so. It was like a dual core i7. It wasn't a slouch by any means, but it was like a third generation uh, core i7 chip. And it was doing very well uh, at that task of media serving. So if you are looking to maybe set up a media server somewhere in your house, you could really do it uh, with some older hardware, depending on what it is and what its capabilities are. 
uh, that hardware transcoding topic that we looked at uh, last week here with Plex really helps because you can uh, have some of that lower powered hardware now maybe perform better provided its Intel processor supports the transcoding uh, thing that they use, which is called QuickSync. And you can find out more information about it uh, in my video to see if that computer you have is compatible. Because of that hardware transcoding, especially with Plex, you could probably run this stuff now on like a low-end NUC, even one powered, for example, by an Apollo Lake processor. So you do have a lot more options now uh, to have a Plex server running that can be very capable as a standalone machine. And this next question came in on my Nintendo Switch docking video from uh, Lagovaride, who was shocked, shocked that I didn't go into the various dock shells on the market where you can uh, buy a smaller docking shell, take apart the official dock, and put its guts in that smaller one. And I should cover that. I really will maybe take a look and see what some options are out there for it. But I'm looking at this from the consumer perspective. What is uh, a general consumer looking for? What is a mom or dad looking for for their kid who's asking for another docking solution? That was kind of the angle that I uh, typically try to apply to these kinds of videos. Maybe I'll do something separately on that. I do think, though, that Nintendo needs to come up with some kind of official portable docking solution because there are so many of these third-party cheapo Chinese things on Amazon that I'm not sure which ones are good and which ones are not. Some could maybe potentially damage your Switch console, for example. So it would be nice for Nintendo to offer something to customers that's official that uh, at least will give some folks some peace of mind. Uh, the Switch for me right now is very delicate in the sense that if something happens to mine, I lose all of my save game data. And I put a lot of time into a few games. I don't want to lose that. Uh, so I'm really scared about plugging this thing into third-party docks at the moment, including the one that I tested uh, on the channel. But I am, I'm glad, though, that Nintendo reduced the price of their official dock. It looks like it's selling now for about $60. That includes the AC adapter, the dock, and an HDMI cable. So that's not a bad price. I think that's a fair price for uh, what they're offering. Uh, but a bunch of folks did suggest I check out the Insignia dock from Best Buy. So I'm going to try to get my hands on one of those just to see how it compares because that one sells for $40 uh, with, I believe, an AC adapter as well. And our Q&A for you this week is how do you see the videos that you watch on this channel? I've been looking at my own habits when I'm watching YouTube and I have uh, a number of creators that I've set the little notification bell on so I get a notification right when they post something. So I often click through that a notification to get there, but generally I am gravitating towards the recommended page when I log into my account. I never go to trending. I rarely now go to the subscription feed. And I'm just curious what you're doing to consume content on the platform. I'm just trying to figure out uh, where you might see my video show up too. So let me know down in the comments section below. Our channel of the week this week, speaking of growing businesses, as we were at the beginning of the, pod, of the show here, uh, is a podcast called How I Built This. It's an NPR podcast, and they interview people who founded some of the popular brands that uh, you likely consume or have experienced over the course of your life. And they're really great interviews because it's often great to hear from the founder and hear how they started and how they struggled and how they were able to uh, build the company into something substantial. Some of my favorites have been the CEO of Southwest Airlines. Uh, they had the CEO of Starbucks, which was a really great discussion. Uh, Melissa and Doug, who make the kids' toys. There really is a Melissa and Doug who uh, put that company together. Uh, Five Guys Burgers, they're all on there. Uh, fantastic podcast and definitely worth listening to if you are into business. So 
This week on the channel, we've got a number of things coming up. I'm finally getting that Thunderbolt doc video posted. They were uh, waiting for the stock to show up in Amazon. It's there now. So we're going to have a Thunderbolt docking guide uh, coming up probably tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, we're going to look at that Minix PC that I mentioned at the outset, the one that we unboxed on the Extras channel. I'm also going to be taking a look at the GPD XD Plus, and I know a lot of you are excited about this little device, so let me know what you'd like to see tested in that review. And we're also going to take a look, hopefully now, at that Epson printer I keep talking about. It's still on the docket, and I'm just putting it here so I don't forget about it, but we are definitely going to be looking at that wide format printer. In fact, I've been using that printer from time to time to print out large things that I need to use for meetings and presentations and stuff, so it's been uh, really helpful. So I've gotten some experience with this now, so hopefully I'll get that review going in the next couple of days. And we'll probably have some other things show up throughout the course of the week. You never know what might show up at the door here, so stay tuned. There's always something interesting coming through the doors here, and we'll uh, try to get all of that to you as it happens. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to our efforts here. We also have that ongoing relationship with Plex. So even if you don't want a Plex pass yet, if you go and sign up for a free account, no credit card required at lon.tv Plex, uh, you will get yourself a free account and we'll get ourselves a small commission for that. So be sure to check that out. I've got other channels that you should be looking at if you like what I'm doing here. We have the Extras channel at lon.tv extras for supplementary content and unboxings. We have the podcast, which is the audio version of what I do here and soon some other stuff as well. We have the Snippets channel at lon.tv snippets, where I take portions of this and other videos and repost them into search-friendly snippets there. And we have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams. We've done a couple of them over the last couple of weeks with more to come. And I do ask if you like what I'm doing to click on that bell icon so you get notified every time I upload something or stream live. And of course, we have other ways to engage with the channel. My email list is at lon.tv email. Our Facebook page is at lon.tv Facebook. And our store is at lon.tv store. And if you want to be notified when I add items there, you can go to lon.tv store alert to get on the email list for store changes. I've got some stuff hopefully going up a little later this week. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all for your continued support of the channel. I greatly appreciate it. Keep those questions and comments coming down below in the comment stream. And we've got a lot more stuff to come. This is Lon Sybin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters of the Black Eyed and Blues Music Hour podcast, Chris Allegretta, Gerard Newberg, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv s.